Welcome to Reconciled Church Miami, Pastor Aldo Leon. Right, I'm going to read our passage. Actually, we were in chapter 6 uh, last week, but I want to jump back and finish 5. We didn't finish 5. So let me read the, I want to read the whole chapter just to refresh us. Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within it, and on the back seal with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to take the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders This will be where we'll be today. And the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. They're being repetitive, aren't they? To receive power and wealth, wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. So, just summarizing. We start in this chapter about Jesus, the cosmic Christ. He's the cosmic solution to all of our issues. And then it explains why. It explains the cross. He's slaughtered with seven horns at the center of the throne, which means that he is a cosmic, redemptive, ultimate, universal savior because he has a cross that is universally, divinely powerful. And then we move to the fact that this is our song. This is our anthem. This is what we dance to and are unified by in the church. And now the question is, how far do we take this? Where does this go? Where does this lead to? Yes, we've learned about what Christ does. Yes, we've learned about how we celebrate that, but but where does that take us? And so if I were to summarize, Revelation 5 really is just a summary of your entire Christianity. You live your whole Christianity in that chapter. What Christ did, our receiving of that work, our gratitude, and then what that work does to us. Revelation 5 just summarize your Christianity. What Christ does, who he is, what he does, you receiving that, and that doing something to you. So here's what I want to answer today. What, how far can we take this Jesus slaughtered being our anthem 
and our heavenly ultimate joy. How far can we take? And here's my first point. Is that the cross is our constant crescendo. Crescendo is just something that's always going up. The cross is our constant crescendo. So look, after they're singing, it keeps, if you notice something here, it gets more dramatic, right? It gets more intense. There's more people now in, in verse 11. So there wasn't just the heavenly beings and the 24 elders which represent the church. Now there's other kinds of angels. And there's more thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And so as heaven celebrates the work of Jesus, it just keeps getting more intense and more powerfully experienced. It doesn't kind of cap off. There is no end to this. And everything that we enjoy that has a climax or crescendo has a drop off. Your day has a drop, your day has a crescendo and a drop off, right? Uh, your, the movies have a crescendo and a drop off. Your workout has a crescendo and a drop off. The economy has a crescendo and a drop off. Everything is limited in how far it can go, right? It gets boring. It gets, it flattens out. But, but what we learn here is, listen, the more the church stays focused on what Jesus did, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't stop moving you in a profound way. There's just more joy. There's more strength. There's more repentance. There's more unity. There is more enjoyment of God and enjoyment of each other. There is more sweetness. There is more freedom. There is more faith. It just doesn't stop bringing about profound effects as you stay stuck in its over and over. There is no end in sight. There is no capping off or flattening out of the crescendo of Jesus' finished work. It never caps out. It never caps out. And so listen, why is this important? Because a lot of Christians are bored. And right now we're extra bored. You know why? Because our entire country shut down for three months. Okay, You're even more bored than you normally are, but you're bored. And when you're bored, you're looking for some crescendo. Right? And if it's the wrong kind of crescendo, you're always going to be looking for a crescendo. You're always going to looking for looking for some kind of climax. Because you don't have the actual Bible climax of the lamb slaughter that takes people into heaven into eternity, never, never, ever ceasing to enjoy that. You're going to find something else. So when you're bored, you look for some kind of escalator, some kind of trampoline, some kind of adrenaline shot that comes with all these codes about how to get your adrenaline shot and your trampoline and your escalator. So here's some of the ways that we try to create some pseudo-false climax. We become rapture fanatics. That's exciting. Let's get excited about the crescendo of the rapture. You guys know who I'm talking about, right? And that becomes, and then you have your rapture codes. Or, hey, you know what? Church is kind of boring. Let's become social revolutionaries. That sounds interesting. That's exciting. Like that, that'll sell. You know, like that whole going to, you know, those basic normal things that Christians do, just loving God and loving each other and loving neighbor. Like, no, like let's become social revolutionaries. Or, or some people, because you're bored, you just always want to fight somebody in the church. Some church, thank God this is not our church, but some churches you go to, the only thing that we have excited is just to fight with each other because we don't have the, the, the crescendo of Jesus, but we have the crescendo of otra novela, right? Or some, 
it's like, okay, well, let's, let's make church a big, massive youth group like atmosphere. Exciting and interesting and climactic. And, and, and you create, or, 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 or let's, let's just make a million activities that have Christians just running a treadmill endlessly because we need some kind of crescendo. We need some kind of motivation. Or you create this super legalistic church. I call it CrossFit church. I don't think CrossFit's legalistic, okay? I'm saying CrossFit church. Where Christianity's not, let's just make, let's just make endless activities and codes and behaviors and standards so that we can be really radical, like super doing endless things Christians to feel like, you know, we got something to be excited about. Do that sometimes. Or if you are bored with the cross, you try to find crescendos and, and, and there being some endless quote-unquote miracle in church. I say quote-unquote miracle because I don't see the stuff that happened with the apostles day now. It's something else, you know. Like my back hurts, it doesn't hurt no more or something like that. But beloved, listen. We have come to a never-ending crescendo and we don't have to be bored and find some some false alternative. Have you ever, have any of y'all ever, ever been to California besides Jesse and Rebecca? You go on these mountains and you walk up and you walk up and you're like, it's just, it never ends. All you can do obviously does end, but I'm saying the feeling of it. All you can do is pause, catch your breath and keep walking because it never ends. Beloved, this is what we are seeing right now in, 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 in Revelation 5. There is no end to this stuff. It never caps out. And this is the only crescendo, beloved, that doesn't, that makes you better for it and not worse. What I mean by that? This brings joy without making you shallow. This brings change without making you some kind of external legalist that just changes externally. This brings you, makes you, it makes you, it humbles you without humiliating you, okay? It, it it empowers you to do things without being defined by what you do. It enables you to enjoy people and not worship people. It enables you to love without having to be flattered. This is the only thing that actually brings you into this crescendo and climax. It doesn't make you the worst for it. Let me ask you a question. What's your crescendo? What's your climax? Actually, experientially, not hypothetically and categorically. What is your climax? My guess is if this Revelation 5 is not your crescendo and climax, you are probably always finding a new thing to climax on and you're exhausted. And the next time you find a new climax, you crash harder and you get more exhausted. Let me tell you something that happened when I, when I, when I first got saved. I didn't realize that once you find Jesus... You have found your destiny to get stuck on forever. There's no other thing to find that is going to move you and grip you. You found Jesus. That's it. I didn't get that. I was like, eh, I need some other crescendo and climax. So I was like, I'm not, I don't, I don't know if I'm really a Christian. If I'm not on a, if I'm not standing on a box in a downtown DC and screaming the gospel, it's not that there's anything wrong with that, but I was like, I need some kind of, some kind of that. And then I was like, how about, how about the fasting climax? Think if I don't eat, if I don't eat for Jesus like once a week, maybe I'll get, you know, like this importance that I want. And then I had like the, uh, abstain from climax where I was like, maybe I can get really pumped for Jesus if I just get rid of a bunch of stuff. So I, my wife is still mad at me to this day 
I went to like our DVD collection when we used to have those, and I got rid of all of the DVDs that weren't Christian DVDs. And you laugh, but like, this is what we do. Like, I need something to make me feel crescendo-ish. Or, you know, I, I became the family integration guy. You know what family integration church is? No kids ministry. Kids are in church from infancy. And so I was like, no one's going to talk to my kids. No one's going to teach my kids. And I, why? Because it's a new crescendo. Wow. Like I got this unique thing. And beloved, you know what? What I came to found is that the simplicity of what I had come to know in Jesus and the first day, that's where I got to stay. When you replace this crescendo with something else, it puts you on a rat wheel of exhausting, phony, false climaxes and crescendos. But here's the second thing that happens when we dance to this tune as a church. I see the cross bring collective and cosmic cohesion. Collective and cosmic cohesion. So check this out. It says that there's these seraphim that are these like unique angels that are like closer to the throne. And then it says there are these other angels. And then it says that there is a 24 elders. And then it says under the earth and above the earth and on the earth. So basically you got, you got humans. You got some kind of being over there and you got some other kind of being over there. Now I think it's, I think it's really cute when people talk about being multicultural. And it's because, look, South America, you know, and over there is the Caribe, and, and over there is like, a, you know, America. And, and I'm like, you know what kind of diversity this is? Different kinds of beings, all united. Yeah, and by the way, there's different kinds of people there. And so what is, I'm going to ask the question and just answer it. What's uniting all these beings under the earth and above the earth and around the earth, different kinds of beings and angels? What is bringing them all together? Well, let's let's read what it says. They sang with a loud voice, the lamb who was slaughtered is worthy. They're united by the merits of Jesus Christ, the worth of Jesus Christ, what Christ has earned and accomplished and who he is and what he does. That is what brings a cohesive cosmic collaboration song. Nothing else does that. You know what, beloved? I think one of the problems is is we always want to find a cliquish unity, not a cosmic unity. Cliquish is just something smaller, some smaller hat to be united by as a Christian, as a Christian. Now, let me give you some examples of this. In the church, we try to unite people around being a victim. That's where, like, these new things that are, if you guys are familiar with the conversation of intersectionality, all these fancy words that people are throwing around, or critical race theory, those are things that have a they have some purpose in some realm of society, but people are now bringing the status of victimhood to be something that's going to unite Christians in a church. Or we do something like this: let's unite. I know one time I was talking to some of my friends, and they were like, "We we we brown, by the way, like Latinos. We're we're not brown. We're everything. We're darker than than people, and we're lighter than people." So so, but anyway, they were saying we brown folk, Latinos and black. We gotta unite, you know. Uh, uh, for, for, for Jesus. And I'm like, what you talking about? What kind of unity is that? That ain't this kind of unity. That's a small hat. Or sometimes it's like, okay, like, let's, let's, let's unite under the, 
we all love Donald Trump and we're all patriots. That's what's going to make the church united. Or we're going to unite because we all hate Trump. <laughs> Beloved, that's, that's not big enough. All lives matter hashtag is not big enough to unite a church. Or black lives matter hashtag is not big enough to unite a church. Or the Me Too movement is not big enough to unite the church. All this stuff, it's just little circles that they, they can't bring this kind of cosmic unity amongst beings under the earth and over the earth and around the earth and all of these celestial. It can't do that. And all of these kind of like little hashtag church, the missional church, the incarnational church, and the relational church, and the, those things are little cute little categories. That can, they, they, they don't have the gravity. The gravity of King Jesus slaughtered for us to suck everything together. They're not big enough. They're not large enough. Can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine, uh, like, us coming up? To, let's say we can go up to heaven. And these people are all united by the power of Jesus, by the power of his grace. And we say, hold on, hold on, guys. Time out. Could, 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 we, could we bring, you know, our Americanness up here to bring unity up here in heaven? Like, could we bring, you know, the... Hold up, hold up. We don't need y'all stuff down there. We got Christ up here. There's no, there's no hashtag. There's no footnote. There is no other thing that brings this cosmic unity. Only a Jesus who is infinitely supreme and infinitely satisfying and sufficient can bring unity amongst people and their distinctions. Nothing else. Nothing else. Beloved, Jesus takes all of our small categories. And he he rewrites us into this big category of him. He takes all of our small categories and he unites us. And so only this reality in this chapter can make people that have age differences, race differences, color differences, economic differences, political differences. Don't worry, we do that with a lot of times. God always spares us from the the lightning. Not the rain, but the lightning. (laughs) Uh, Social differences, geographic differences. Only, beloved, this is the only thing that's big enough to do that. Beloved, what's unique about you is not what's most important. What's unique about Jesus is what unites Christians. What's unique about you is not what's most important. What's unique about Jesus, like he is God and he is man. He is prophet, priest, and king. He is a son of God. He is a savior. He is a crucified one, the resurrected one. Only what's unique about Jesus can bring small things that are separate together. And nothing else can. And by the way, talking about unity doesn't bring unity. Let's all get together. Let's all unite. Can't we all just get along? No, we can't. You know why? Because we're all a bunch of little kids who are so in love with our uniqueness that we can't get over ourselves to, to love others. Just look at you know those, those little people over there. The only way you can get those little people over there to collaborate is if you intrigue them all by something that's way bigger than what is unique about all those little people. That's us. Only, we're so, listen, the reason why we can't get along, because you love what's unique about you more than Jesus. You're more defined by what's unique about you than what's unique about Jesus for you. Listen, I'm a Latino. I'm a second generation Cuban. But Jesus loving me is way bigger than any single distinctive thing about me. That's the only thing that is what is unique about Christ. 
what is unique about the slaughtered lamb by himself being more unique and more absorbing and more defining and more massive and more colossal than anything that distinguishes us. Only that brings people to be unified. There's no other unity. It's just, you know, if, if, if your unity is something that is not Jesus explicit and it's not unity, it's cliquish, tribalistic, humanistic things. And beloved, listen, when we come here. So remember how you went to a public school before? When I went to public school before, we could all wear our own clothes. But now in public school, everyone's got to wear the same uniform. Beloved, reconcile is like the uniform. We, we don't, we go to, we go to church and everybody got the same outfit. You know what outfit it is? It's Christ. Christ. All those who have been baptized in Christ. Galatians 3.27 have put on Christ like a garment. There is no Jew nor Greek nor Scythian or whatever. We all come here to be defined by this big circle. Not to, I have all these small circles that I want to attach Jesus to. No, Jesus makes a, makes a big circle around this whole place. And he says that circle is what is the circle of this church. And all those smaller circles, they get, re, they, they get rewritten into that big circle. It's one of the reasons why we don't have a million groups for a million different people at all times. So we can always have a young marriage group and and an older marriage group. And and you just had kids group and and you're angry with life group and you're this. No, 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 that's not the church. That's not the cosmic unity. The unity is we all have Jesus. And all of our distinctions are absorbed into that Jesus unity. But here's, I, I only have two more points. And it, the third point is, so it brings us cohesion. It also brings these consecrated, consecrated, consecrated. So we say, what is consecrated? It sounds very fancy. It just means set apart. It means made holy. So the cross brings these consecrated, make you different, make you holy consequences. So listen. They said the lamb who was slaughtered is worthy to receive. So something changes in verse 12. Wow. I'm losing my water fast. Something changes. All of a sudden, the conversation goes from he did to now we want to do. They move from rescue and redemption to receiving to response. But you notice something? It just automatically happened. They go from rescue to receiving to a response. They move from he did, now we must do. It wasn't like, look, when you become a Christian, you open the door of salvation. And then in between the door of salvation and the other door of doing things, you got to figure out how to get there. There's only one door that you open that gets you from rescue to also also reacting. Beloved, the gospel is more like the power of grace pouring water into a bucket. And as you keep pouring water into a bucket, it just comes out. Or it's like you putting a pot on the stove, and because you heat up the pot, the heat just bubbles that stuff over, and it comes out. Or you you you, you turn a car on, you fire the engine, and the explosion that engine just start pushing gears, pushing, pushing metal, pushing all this stuff. It just happens, beloved. When you begin to understand in greater depths the power of the gospel. You say, I want to give all of my power and energy to you, God. When it says all riches to you, when you understand the riches that you have in Christ, 
the riches of, of being regenerated. Regenerated means you've been made a new creature by the Spirit. When you understand the riches of your justification, justification means you get your heavenly citizen papers that says you're righteous for Christ's sake. When you begin to understand the riches of your adoption, it means that God not only saved you, regenerated you, gave you a new status, he makes you his kids. When you understand the gift of sanctification where you can reflect your big brother and your new father, when you understand these things, you're like, I just want to give back to you because you've given me so much. All wisdom to you. Why? When you understand the wisdom of the cross, it's somehow, somehow, Jesus Christ becoming a naked, cursed criminal, dying, brings my pardon, brings eternal life. The wisdom of the cross, the majesty of it. I want to live unto you and say wisdom to you. When you understand the strength of the gospel, the strength to destroy death, the strength to destroy sin, the strength to destroy the devil, when you're in the, the strength of the gospel, you're like, I want all of my strength to go back to you. When you understand the blessings that you have, when you understand the glory that you have, the honor, you, you, you because Jesus is raised and seated in heaven and he now has taken a position of royal, I am awesome and right and amazing because you are now hidden in Christ, because you're defined by Jesus, because of where he is, that's where you are. When you see the blessing that Jesus has, has earned, when you see the honor that he has earned, you say, God, I want all blessing and honor to go back to you because I'm receiving something that I cannot contain. In the same way water just dumping on over and over in a bucket cannot contain it. It's just too much. That's the gospel, beloved. All glory unto you, all, all strength and all honor because you have given me something that I cannot contain as opposed to, oh man, you know what? How are we going to get, how are we going to, how are we going to live the gospel out? Beloved, the gospel is a causing cause gospel. It's a consequential gospel. It's a creating gospel. It's a moving gospel. The gospel does not need your help to make it practical. The gospel does not need your self-effort to make it effectual. The, listen, they just encounter the lamb. They encounter his beauty. And they have to consequentially, immediately, naturally, reflexively respond. Imagine telling your taste buds as you put carne asada in there. Taste buds, I want you to enjoy this. Listen, once you put the carne ahí, your, your taste buds are responding, right? Right? Beloved, if you got the meat of the gospel on those taste buds of your heart, it responds. And the reason why you're not responding, it's very likely that you've assumed the gospel, you've confused the gospel, or you just know the gospel, but you're not actually living in the experiential receptivity of the gospel. But the gospel just does something to us. It affects. So listen, I think a lot of times Christians, they get caught up in the effects of the gospel, and they don't really think about the the root of those effects, okay? So listen, you don't have to, why do you sweat? Do you sweat by saying, I need to sweat, I need to sweat, sweating's good, sweating is good for me. Is that how you sweat? No, you sweat by being in the presence of something really hot, right? If there's heat, there's sweat. Or you're not sitting around like, I want to get wet, I want to get wet. Let me get wet. How do you get wet? You got to get in the water. Beloved, when you are encountering the heat of the gospel, you just sweat love to him back. 
when you are in the wetness of the cascading waterfalls of the, of the life of Christ, his death for you as a sinner and his resurrection bodily 2,000 years ago and his triumphant return to heaven, when you are in the waters of that, you are just wet. And so application is more, maybe you're not really getting in the water the way as much as you should. Maybe you're not really in the presence of that heat of grace as you think. But here's the last thing, my last point. So the cross is a crescendo we get stuck in. The cross is this cohesive unifier. The cross causes us to respond in holiness. But the cross is also contagious. It's contagious. So after these folks are worshiping, oh, got more people showing up. Looks like Doug's crew. Uh, after, um, after some people in this, in this thing start worshiping, you know what happens? More people, more people start showing up, right? More people start showing up. And then by the time you get to chapter 11, more people start showing up. It's kind of like when you make an invitation, to go to your, so someone to go to your house to eat, you know, like, uh, like Lewis sometimes he'll make the, el puerco ahí afuera with, with, with the cinder blocks. Somehow all of a sudden, like, five people turns to 20. And 20 people turns to, you know, who knows how what. And then your wife is looking at you all kind of like squinty eye, like, I thought you said 10, you know? <laughs> this is what happens when people, when beings, when angels are living in the cosmic, wonderful narrative of the slaughtered lamb for us, it just draws people. It's contagious. It's not like, you know what trips me out about a worship, worship leaders a lot of times? There's this conversation. How are we going to get people to worship? Okay, like dim the lights. You know, like, start saying, clap your hands. Like, how, how are we, we going to get? Can you imagine that conversation? Worship leader gets shut up to heaven. How are we going to get these people to get really worshiping? Like, yeah. It's just, it's just contagious. It, it's, it's like a virus. None of us, let me, let me say, did anybody have to say, how are we going to get Corona to spread? No, you're, you're laughing, right? The gospel is more viral than Corona. Way more viral. Way, way, way more viral. This idea, like, how we're going to market Christianity, how we're going to sell Christianity, how we're going to attract people to Jesus, how are we going to, uh, you know, make people loving, and how are we going to make people, you know, Beloved, the gospel is viral. It's, it's, it's contagious. You don't have to have that conversation if you're really getting the gospel. <laughs> You know what's interesting about the book of Acts? And this is my last talking point. There's something missing from the book of Acts that is oftentimes so uh, present in our church. I, I never seen the book of Acts. How are we going to build a multi-ethnic? How are we going to build a multi-ethnic church? I don't see that conversation. Hey guys, our church is all our church is only one person. Like, can you imagine people in Antioch being like, our church is only one thing? Like, what are we going to do? No. As the church continues, it just it just naturally is multi-ethnic. Or do you let me ask another question. Do you ever see any conversation in Acts? How are we going to reach people for Jesus? Do you see that there? I don't see that there. How are we going to get Christians to live out their faith? 
Or how are we going to get Gentiles to feel like they, they're, they're important and they're accepted? And how are we going to, you know, make the Gentiles who like, they, 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 they like to eat pork? And, and I, I don't see that conversation. Or you know what else I don't see in, in, in the book of Acts? How are we going to transform the culture of Rome? Do you see that conversation? Hey, guys, Rome is really ugly and yucky. How are we going to transform the culture of Rome? I don't see none of that. You know what I see? Let me, let me, let me open Acts. And by the way, I haven't had, none of you have requested me to go back to Acts yet. What's up? We were in the middle of Acts still, okay? <laughs> okay. No one, no one's going to request though. Look, look, look what it says in Acts. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to multi-ethnic church, racial reconciliation church, uh, evangelistic reach people church. I'm adding my own thing right there, right? What do they devote themselves to? Relevant church. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread and fellowship and prayers. So we, we, we heard about Jesus. We ate, we ate things that pointed to Jesus and we prayed to Jesus. And what happened? What happened when they devoted themselves to the exclusive awesomeness of Jesus as, as a church? What happened? Huh? Yeah, yeah, okay. See where I'm going? Look, it says, and they believe, all they believe together had all things in common. Can you imagine, like, how are we going to share? They just shared. Because they were devoted to the Jesus who has shared himself. And the more you are encountering a church that is sharing the good news, not just to those out there, but to those in here, the more you want to share naturally, instinctively, contagiously. Look, it keeps going. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the choices of the poor. They didn't need no benevolence ministry. They just were benevolent. They just were benevolent. You can organize it. And day by day, they were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes with generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. They focused on the contagious Christ cross and God focused on that becoming attractive to others. Love it. When, when we are, when we are captivated, when we are controlled, when we are constrained, it just is the way that God gets others into this thing. So let me, just some practical applications. Parents, don't try to always be getting your kids to be excited for Jesus. Live a Jesus contagious life before them and let God use that. Or married people. Stop trying to get your, 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 your spouse to be sold out for Jesus. You be contagiously in love with Jesus before them. You be enamored with Christ. You be intoxicated with this song and revelation. And as you do that, God does what he does when he wants. Or church. I say, listen, how are we gonna get, how are we gonna get people in this church to love each other? How are we gonna get people who are outside in? How are we gonna, you know, in the midst of just a crazy society where everyone's divided, what are we gonna do? We're gonna be contagiously fixated with Christ and see that do its own work. Contagiously fixated with Christ. I, I said another thing, listen. Uh, you got, we gotta, we gotta buy what we sell in. There's a way in the streets of saying that too, but, uh, you know, we don't need to say it that way. 
you got to buy what you're, whatever you're selling. So people ask me, like, hey, how are you going to grow Reconciled Church? That's not my job to grow Reconciled Church. It's my job to make Christians here so contagiously in love with the Christ who was crucified for them that it becomes contagious to those around them when God picks. So how do we end this song? Christ is the crescendo. Christ is the cohesive unifier. Christ is the one who causes us to be consecrated to him. And Christ is contagious. So we just we live this story over and over again. And we, we, it's kind of like we, we, we get up and, and we do the same things in the, in the same way in this chapter 5 story. So let me pray and move us to the table. Heavenly Father, I thank you that uh, now that we have jumped into chapter 5 and we've walked through all the phases and we've, we've considered the salvation of your son, we've considered his powerful cross, we've considered that it is our anthem and our song and our celebration and we have seen what it does. Father, I just pray that we would dance in these four uh, layers and steps together. I pray, God, that as the world gets stuck in opinions, chapter six, and culture, chapter seven, and, and all these other, that we get stuck in chapter five. <laughs> Revelation five would be where we get stuck and where we live out of as your people. Amen. That concludes our message, and we hope that you were inspired by it. If you'd like to hear more about the gospel or find out more about Reconciled Church Miami, please connect with us using one of the ways listed on our website, reconciledchurchmiami.org.